Hello and welcome to Foundation Stones from Refuge City Church. Having a solid foundation for our walk with Jesus Christ is vital for every Christian, especially in the times we live in. Through God's word, candid conversations, and everyday application, the aim is to help you build your foundation so you can stand strong for God every day. Buckle in and prepare your heart. Pray this, God, ready my heart for your truth that I might be more like you. We hope today's episode empowers you to grow in your walk with Jesus. Let's dive in. Well, hello there. Welcome back to Foundation Stones. This is Jim Weaver. I am the worship and administrative pastor at Refuge City Church, and I'm also the host of our discipleship podcast that comes out every week. This is Foundation Stones, and it has truly been a joy these last several weeks throughout the year 2021 to be able to teach and explain some of these beautiful concepts of the Word of God. And today is no different. In fact, we are starting a series. We started last week and will continue today and probably for several more weeks into the future on the fruit of the Spirit. And so I'm excited to jump into this topic today because I believe that this truly is, you know, there's some foundation stones, you got to have those stones in the foundation. This one, you've got to have in your foundation or else all the other foundation stones just don't fit at all. And so we've talked about this topic before. This time we're going to talk about it in the context of the fruit of the Spirit. And today's topic, because of my introduction of it, you'll understand it to be true. The fruit of love. The fruit of love. So we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit that we found in Galatians chapter 5. And you'll see the concept, the parameters, the importance of love from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end And there's a really important reason for that. Love conquers all. Love is above all. God is love. And it's really important for us to establish that truth in our hearts so that we can live our life in such a way that the love of God is evident in us, through us, and to God's glory for the benefit of other people. And so I just wanted to let you know, like we established last week, that we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We're not talking about our own fruit, our own attempt, our own work. And so you'll see throughout today's teaching the importance of this idea that we're not forcing love to happen. We're allowing love to come through us from the greater source, which is God himself. So the second thing that I want to establish that maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't, but as I've been reading through this, it's become increasingly evident and reinforced in my own heart that we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, which is a singular word, the fruit, not fruits. Now, a lot of times you'll hear people talk about the fruits of the Spirit, but Scripture actually makes it pretty clear that it is the fruit of the Spirit. So we need to understand that we don't get the luxury of excelling in one fruit that we tend to be good at and excusing ourselves out of the ones we're not good at. You know, like we could say, well, I'm really good at joy, so I'm, I, I've got the joy fruit down, but I'm not very patient, so I'll just be really good at joy, but I'll give myself an out for the patience. And, and you know, that's not what the Bible is teaching us at all. It's actually encouraging us to realize that all nine of these fruits make up the fruit of the Spirit. So you might think of it like this, that instead of a whole bunch of different kind of fruit trees, we have one fruit tree that produces one fruit, and that fruit might have the skin of love and the seeds of joy and the the content of hope and all of that, but 
all of it makes up one fruit. So if you're missing one of those, you have something wrong with your fruit. You're missing something. You're missing a vital component to the greater picture of what that one fruit is supposed to be. So we understand the context of our series is coming from Galatians chapter 5, where we're actually seeing the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit contract contrasted against one another. It's kind of like reflecting it into the mirror and seeing the seeing the flaws that our flesh tends to have in comparison to the perfection of what heaven wants us to have. And so we're going to be breaking down the heart and the motive of each one of these individual fruits that make up the one fruit of the Spirit in this list over the next several weeks. But keep in mind that each positive fruit we talk about is the exact opposite of the entire list of the works of the flesh. So it's not that we have an individual contradictory um, one to the other contrast, but all of the fruit of the Spirit is contrasted with all of the works of the flesh. So we see in Galatians 5 verse 19 where it says what the work of the flesh really is. And so let's look at it. We have to see this so that we can see the contrast into the beauty of the fruit of the Spirit. So Paul says to the Galatian church in Galatians 5 verse 19 through 21, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now that word evident is so important because it means they can be seen. The evidence is readily visible. So he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So last week's podcast, I read that list and gave a little bit more description of what each one of those really represents. And You know, we tend to see some of these as obviously works of the flesh that would cost us heaven, but some of these we tend to excuse ourselves out of and think that God's going to grade on a curve. And man, when we read this and we realize that all of these things from the fornication and adultery and idolatry and witchcraft, all that, all the way down to envy, drunkenness, all of that is equal to God. All of that will cost us heaven. Yeah, that's actually what this just told us. And so it says right before we read this list in Galatians 5.16, Paul's instruction, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So he's showing us that the anecdote is not greater works, but to walk in the Spirit, and then we will have the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit or the lust of the flesh. So Paul then shows us the exact opposite of the works of the flesh. And I personally love this list, even though it's deeply challenging, because I realize in my flesh, all of these things are impossible. I might get a little bit of them, but really, it's kind of like trying to stand on the coastline of California and throw a rock and hit Hawaii. You know, we're never going to be able to do that. That's why it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of our own fleshly effort. So when we're connected to the Spirit of God, we can have these things. Galatians 5.22 and 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So I established for us last week that the fruit comes from the Spirit of God. 
The only way for it to truly manifest in our lives is by staying connected in intimate relationship with God through his Holy Spirit. Now, I said intimate relationship here because we have a tendency to have a platonic relationship with God. And and I get it. I I understand that for my own life. I, I don't see God. I don't readily hear his voice, especially in the physical. And so it's easy for us to create a religious relationship with God where we go to church and we sing songs and we have our morning prayers or whatever it is, but we don't actually feel like there is an intimacy available with God because we don't see him. We can't look into his physical eyes. And yet the Bible teaches us over and over and over again that that relationship is available and it is something that we can pursue. And the more that we get to know God, the greater our spirit spirit is connected to God and the more likely we are to actually begin to produce the fruit of the spirit. And there's a really important reason why. It's because fruit is the result of staying connected to the vine. Fruit comes from the spirit who flows through us to the end result of fruit. We're disconnected from God or not surrendered to him. We actually restrict the flow and we prevent the fruit. So listen to me, fruit has everything to do with whether or not you are fully connected to God. We can't force authentic fruit to come from our lives without being connected to God in complete submission, complete surrender, and our relationship growing, not only knowing that he's the God of all creation, but he's also our friend. He's our savior. He's our Lord. The Bible even calls him our brother. These are very intimate family connection relationships. So Jesus was teaching his disciples this very principle in John 15, verse 4 and 5. He says, abide in me and I in you. So the word abide, it means live in me, dwell in me, stay in me. This is an intimate connection. He says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So the image here is of a grapevine and the grapes or the ultimate fruit of the grapevine. It's the ultimate aim and focus of that plant is to create the fruit of the vine. But that branch can't produce the fruit without being connected to the vine, which is in the root system of the plant. And so what Jesus is saying is, is that the branch all by itself is just withered up and dried up and it can't produce anything. It has to be connected to the source, to the nutrition, to the root system. And that's what Jesus said. I am the vine. Abide in me. Stay in me. Otherwise, you can't draw up the nutrition from the Spirit of God that you need. In other words, the the nutrition that feeds that fruit is only available in relationship with God. You can't force authentic love. You can't force authentic joy and hope and all of the fruit of the Spirit. You have to stay connected to the vine. And, And you know what's amazing is that if you're connected to the vine, you will begin to produce fruit by default because the nutrition comes through you and begins to come out in the fruit on the other side. So what is the love of God? What is the love of God? This first fruit that we're looking at from Galatians 5. What is the love of God? We're going to spend quite a bit of time today in 1 John. And so we're going to start in 1 John 4 verse 9. 
The Apostle John says this, In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. Manifested means it was demonstrated to us. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So here's the thing that we've got to recognize is that God will never ask us to do something that he was not willing to or hasn't already done himself. So if he wants us to be a person who loves, you can put it in the bank. He has already loved like he wants us to love. And so we see this here where it says, God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Now, if you know the story of Jesus and you've been a part of this podcast for very long, you will know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the son of God, Jesus, was sent by the father to come and be our substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. You see, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that means that Jesus bore our punishment. He died our criminal's death and he defeated death and defeated the power of sin by coming up out of the grave so that we can live through him. It says that in 1 John 4, 9, God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So we see that the demonstration, the manifestation of God's love towards us is in his sacrifice and it's in his service to us for the express benefit of our eternity. Which means that if we're going to have the love of God in us, that we've got to be a people who are willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others, serve for the benefit of others, and for the express purpose of not receiving for ourselves, but giving so that someone else can be saved because of our love. And so we see that the love of God has no strings attached to it. Now we have to receive it But that doesn't mean that God doesn't still love us if we haven't received him. It just means we didn't receive it, but he still loves. And so true love has no conditions. And, you know, I I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this podcast, and I got to thinking about all of the conversations that I've had and, and even some of the experiences I've personally had where maybe there was a, a violation, you loved somebody and they took advantage of you. They abused you. They spoke death over you. They used your body. They they used your mind. They used your resources. They abused the love that you gave. And so we look at that and go, well, you know, I've got to put conditions on my love. I've got to, I've got to protect myself. I can't just love like God loves because, you know, he's God and, and I'm not. And I'm kind of, you know, exempt from this whole love thing because someone hurt me. And you know, what's amazing is that if that was true, if that was actually a valid argument, then Jesus would have been able to say, no, I'm not going to go to the cross for everybody. I'm just going to go for the ones that I like. And no, Jesus, he went to the cross for everybody. And he did that as a precedent so that you and I would learn how to be sacrificial, would learn how to serve for the benefit of others, even the ones who have hurt us. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't make boundaries, that we don't raise fences sometimes to keep ourselves distant from those who may have ulterior motives. But, you know, I've seen lots of people who have put up healthy boundaries, but still love the person who hurt them, still forgive them. And that is the demonstration or the manifestation of the love of God. And I'll show you that in later scriptures where truly, you're able to demonstrate the fullness of the kingdom of God because you're willing to love and forgive someone who just doesn't deserve it. Because truly, if we were to be truthful with ourselves, if we were to admit fully, we would realize that we didn't deserve God's forgiveness. 
So let's look deeper a little bit in 1 John 4. It's, I, I think, one of the best biblical descriptions of the fruit of love that we can find in Scripture. And I think you'll love this Scripture just as much as I've, I have been as I've looked through it. So let's look in 1 John chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 7. We'll review these a few times as I go through today's teaching. John, the apostle, he continues, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So I want you to think with me here for just a moment. When we're talking about the Galatians 5 fruit of love, we're talking about us abiding in the Lord and him producing the fruit of love. So we've talked about the love of God, but this is the extension of the love of God through us. So what I mean by that is this, the fruit of love means that you are responsible to demonstrate the love of God by having the love of God for someone else. So I'm not going to talk a lot about God's love toward us because we've talked about that in previous podcasts. What I want to talk about in this is the fruit. You see, he's the vine. He's pulling up nutrition from the father, goes through us, the branch, and then produces fruit. Now, what's the point of fruit? The point of fruit is that someone can walk by and reach out and take a little bit of it and taste what the plant is all about. And if you and I restrict the love of God, that actually taints the fruit and people get an inaccurate view of God because we did not demonstrate the fruit of what we were supposed to be demonstrating. And so we have to realize that, you know, worldly love, Hollywood love, even the Plutonic love, you know, we talk about, well, I love pizza, I love peaches, I love my puppy, I love going to school, I love work, I love this, whatever it is. We got all kinds of things we love, but really, what is love? What's the difference between fleshly love and God's love? How is God's love different than the world's love? So let's back up again. I want to read these for us again. So start back up in 1 John 4 verse 7. We're going to go a little farther this time, but I want to give you the context. So again, John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So, I just read that a few moments ago, but let me pull this out. God showed us how to do it. God showed us it was possible, and then he is instructing us through the Apostle John to do it. So he says this, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. So that's really important right there. If we love one another, that demonstrates the love of God. Because how many of you know... Loving one another is not always the easiest thing to do. 
you know, we can pick and choose the people we really love, but there's probably a few people's names, even some public figures I could name right now. And as soon as I said their name, the hair on the back of your neck would stand up and you'd get angry. You don't love that person. And I'm not saying we're going to know every person, but there has to be a godly love for each person to pray for them, to seek God's best for them. Even if we disagree, even if they've done something to harm us, even if they've done something we disagree with, because that is how we demonstrate that we're actually connected to God. That's how people will know we're connected with God is if we love those that are unlovable, if we love those who have hurt us, if we love those who have persecuted us, if we love those who have demonstrated that they believe completely contradictory and they're doing everything in their power to make our life more difficult. It says this, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. You see, this is the second time it says that. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. So it is a complete contradiction for you to ever say that you hate somebody and you love God, because you are not truthful. If you don't love people, you don't love God. You cannot say you love God and hate your neighbor. You cannot say that you love God and despise somebody and speak ill about them and post nasty things about those people that you see in the world that you don't like. You can't hate people and love God. That's what the word just proclaimed to us. This is what the word of God says to us. If you hate someone, you don't love God. But if you love God, you will love God people. Again, that doesn't mean you agree with everything. You can disagree till the cows come home, but you could still love that person. You could still have compassion and empathy and still pray for them and still desire that they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the way we demonstrate love in most cases is we hold our opinions to ourselves because our opinions, our mouth begins to overflow with the nasty things we've put in our heart. If we're not careful, we must make sure our heart is full of love because we're connected to the vine so that what our mouth speaks produces the fruit, the love that God designs. You see, the world's love is finite and it's fickle. It's dependent on our emotions and, you know, whether or not that other person performs their expectations to our satisfaction. Earthly love can wear out, it can expire or, you know, even withdrawn. However, God's love is much different think about it. God loves us before we even deserve it. Therefore, we must learn to love other people before they even deserve it. Yeah, you heard me. (laughs) That's a hard one for me too, but you've got to learn to love before the other person deserves it. According to 1 John 4, loving someone else is proof that we love God and that God is in us. And withholding love from people demonstrates that we don't even know God. Withholding love from people is actually our way to try and control the situation and to justify our own thought process, all the while keeping people at arm's distance so that they could never truly feel the love of God from us. We can't withhold love from people because that's actually showing people we don't love God. We could be standing in a church service with our hands lifted high and our voices proclaiming the greatness of God, but yet when we have hatred in our heart, we're not actually truly loving God. Now, there's a scary thought, especially for me as a worship leader. I think about the times that I've stood behind a keyboard or sat at a piano leading worship and realizing if I harbor any hatred towards someone in my heart, all it is is a big show. It's a big facade. It's not real at all, because if I hate someone, I don't love God. That's what 1 John just taught us. Wow, that is is wild. 
If we say we love God and we don't love people, we're lying. We're a liar. We really don't love God. That's a big ouch moment right there. That should convict us to our core. So how do we know that we have God's love operating in our lives or that we don't have God's love operating in our lives? Well, let's continue. 1 John 4, verse 17. The Apostle John continues. He says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So here in 1 John 4, verse 17 through 21, as I just read, there's a few evidences of the love of God operating in our life that I wanted to point out as I've read through this. First one is, is that God gives us a clean conscience. That is an amazing gift. I can't tell you how thankful I am for a clean conscience because our conscience, it either condemns us or it sets us free because our conscience truly knows who we are. The spirit of God deep down on the inside of us works with our spirit to say, you know what? You need to repent or nope. You're doing good. You're covered by the blood. You've taken care of that. That beauty of a clean conscience, that feeling like you just got out of a warm shower and you're clean and you are ready for the day. That means we've received God's love. We've received his forgiveness and we're ready to go into the world with the saving message of the gospel with no condemnation and shame operating in our lives. So that's pretty awesome for us to see. It says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The next one is, is that we don't have any fear. Fear is not in operation in our life. We don't have a stronghold of fear operating. You see, we're not wandering around afraid of the unknown. We're, we're not afraid of other people. We're not afraid of what they think. We're not even afraid of the judgment day to come because we've been washed in the blood of the lamb. We've been forgiven. We've been in experience of the love of God. And so what it says here is that if we're dealing with fear, any kind of fear, it means we haven't been perfected in love yet. So we take that back to our prayer closet and we say, Lord, I'm afraid of this, or I'm dealing with the torment there, or I'm afraid of this person or that situation or this thing. And God wants to set you free so that you're not tormented by fear. Because you see, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. And fear causes us to do a lot of stuff. In fact, right now in the world, I see more fear on both sides of the aisle than any other time that I've ever seen before. And what that tells me is that we as a people need to have a work of the love of God perfected on the inside of us, because that is what defeats fear. And you see, then what happens, it continues in 1 John 4 later on, that truly loving people, even the difficult ones, is a sign of God's love working in us. It says, we love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? When we find that we are moved with compassion for people we would otherwise struggle to love, we know that God's love is being perfected in us. This is a regular move of the Spirit of God in us, as while we're still on this side of heaven, we're going to wrestle against a heart and flesh that will try and betray our best intentions to love people with God's love. However, you can see progress when you know that you're loving people deeper than your flesh normally would. 
Because you see, John says in John 15, verse 13, that greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. In other words, other people that need that sacrifice, you would willingly lay down your life. You can see your love is being perfected when you would do anything for the benefit of another person. So with all this being said, how do we get better at God's love? The fruit of love coming out of our life for the benefit of someone else, that fruit that someone can grab a hold of and taste and see that God is good. You see, it's easy to get discouraged not knowing what heavenly love looks like, but not to despair. God is very thorough with his description of what his love looks like. Let's look at love from heaven's perspective. This this list, I love this list. It's usually when you hear at a wedding, but really it's it's about much bigger kind of love than just marriage love. Look at it. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The next part of the verse to follow says, love never fails. And so when we come to ask God to give us a greater measure of the descriptions of his love, we can see this list is very all-inclusive. And if these things are not abounding in our lives, then we have room to grow. And, and I can guarantee you, as I'm looking at my life, and probably as you're looking at your life, we can guarantee we are not fully manifesting these descriptions of love. But I'm sure glad that God gives these lists to us so that we can say, God, give me an audit of my heart. Show me the places where I am falling short so that I can grow, so that I can manifest your love, so that I can produce the fruit that someone else can take so that they can be introduced to you. And so what are those things again? I'll, I'll give it to you in, in more of our modern language. The New King James I just read it from uses words that we don't commonly use. So I'll break it down just a little bit. So the first one is suffering long. It means to be patient. So there's one, especially in our time. Are you patient? What if someone cuts you off in the grocery store trying to grab the milk jug and gets a little bit too close to you and bangs into your cart? Are you patient with them? What about when your kid comes and asks for help with their math homework? Are you patient? That's a big one. That's a big one right there. So if we start seeing ourselves becoming more patient, we know that the fruit of love is beginning to manifest in our life. What about kindness? That's what the next one is. Love is patient and it's kind. Kindness meaning that we value humanity. We value people because people are precious to God. And if they're precious to God, then they're precious to me. So I'm kind. And so are you kind? Are you regularly willing to extend kindness even to a difficult person? Then it says that love does not envy. So envy is a big one because envy is bigger than just jealousy. Jealousy is I am upset that you have that thing, but envy takes it a step further. I'm upset you have that thing and I want it so bad that I don't think you deserve to have it. And so we get this cynicism, this green, nasty monster down in our spirit. You've heard being green with envy and it actually is the opposite of love. So envy, love does not envy. The next one, love doesn't boast. So if it doesn't boast and it doesn't parade itself, then that means it's not prideful. So if you're dealing with arrogance and pride, 
If you've got to be right every time, if you've got to be heard every time, if you've got to be the loudest every time, if you've got to be the one who everybody listens to, and if anybody points out that you're wrong, you argue with them until you can prove that you're right, even if you're not, that's not love. That's actually sinful arrogance, and it is not okay with God. The next one is it doesn't behave rudely. What if you don't get what you want? What if the waitress brings your meal to you and it's not hot enough, or you said no tomatoes and they forgot and put tomatoes on anyway? Are you rude. How do you joke with people? Are you rude? Are you sarcastic? Are you sharp? Are you bitter? Or are you refreshing? The next one, it says, it does not seek its own. In other words, that means that love isn't selfish. It's not self-centered. It's not thinking about itself first. Can you be the last one in the line and not complain? Could you go through the line at the potluck and there's not enough left for a full plate and you still have the fruit of the spirit? Or do you throw a fit? What if you don't get what you want for Christmas? (laughs) What if you don't get the president that you wanted? (laughs) You know, all of these things, it all manifests. Are you selfish? Is it about you first? The next one, it says that it's not provoked. And what that really means is that it's not easily angered. Do you have a short fuse? Is your temper on a short fuse? And if it is, then you need a work of the love of God in your life because the fruit that's coming off your life is not love. It's actually tainted by anger. The next one is it's thinking no evil and not rejoicing in iniquity, which means that you're not looking for ways to indulge in evil things. You're not tolerating evil. If something comes on a movie that you know in your spirit is contrary to the Lord, you turn it off. You don't celebrate evil. You don't make allowance for things that are contrary to scripture in your life. It doesn't celebrate evil, but it celebrates the truth. It rejoices when things are true. Are you someone who is okay with little white lies? If that's the case, then you aren't operating in love. That's actually an evil fruit. To have the fruit of love in your life means that you rejoice with truth. The next thing is, is that it bears all things. Bears all things means that you are willing to carry other people's burdens. You're willing to walk with people who are dealing with difficult things. Are people inconvenient to you? Are emotional things in your relationships difficult for you and you'd rather just ignore them? No, love bears all things. It comes up alongside it. It comes up underneath the arm of someone you love and helps them through a difficult season. And and yes, that means even a prolonged season. It's not just once or twice, but maybe 60 or 70 times, maybe several years. Whatever it is, you're bearing all things. The next one is, is believes all things. You're believing in other people. You're looking for the best. You're looking for a way to come together in unity. And then I like this one, it hopes all things, which means that you're staying hopeful. You're not despairing. You're not looking at the news, getting absolutely overwhelmed and despairing and frustrated and losing your hope. Love stays hopeful. And then the last one is, is that it endures all things, which means that things are going to be hard, but you're going to endure it and you're going to be persistent and resilient. Now, what a list of love. That is awesome. So any of those things that 1 Corinthians 13 just told us that we're struggling in, that's a place to take before the Lord and say, God, you have got to change my heart so that I can have the fullness of the love of God in operation in me. In 2 Peter, we find this instruction that Peter is giving to his disciples. He says, but also for this very reason, this is 2 Peter 1, 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, 
add to your faith. Now, a lot of us have faith, a lot of us have principles, but we're missing love. So look what he's saying to add to our faith. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. So I love that because we're experiencing the truth of God, we're allowing the truth to work into us, and the end result is love. It sounds like the vine to the branch to the fruit to me. He continues, for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and is forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I think that the challenge of this scripture, the challenge of this teaching is that love is what designates that we're not just in a religious experience, we're actually in a relationship with God. I want to challenge you as I'm even challenging myself today. Don't just be extra religious. Don't just have a whole bunch of head knowledge. Add to your head knowledge virtue, compassion, the love of God, so that the fruit of love will be produced on your branch that's connected to the vine, that's connected to the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, when you have the love of God, you will fertilize the land around you and produce a harvest that will bring glory to God, will bring hope to the nations, and will transform the people in your life. If you're having a hard time sharing the love of God with other people, I just encourage you, take this teaching to your prayer closet and say, God, I want more of your love. I want the fruit of love to come straight from God through me so that others can know who you are. So I encourage you, church. I encourage you, bride of Christ. I encourage you, Christian man or woman of God. Ask God to fill you with his love. Remember, if you hate your brother, you can't say you love God. So it's time for us to love God well by loving others. That's the fruit of the spirit of love. All right. Well, that about does it for today's Foundation Stones. Thank you for being with me today. Don't forget to share this podcast with somebody and be sure to connect with Refuge City Church for our other resources. You don't want to miss our other podcasts and for sure you don't want to miss our live streams. Every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., every Wednesday night at 7 p.m., God is moving. People are getting saved. Lives are being transformed. We're in full operation as the body of Christ, even in spite of all the goofy that's going on in the world. And I want to encourage you. Be someone who's filled with the love of God so that we can be the answer to a hurting world. Love you all. See you next week for the next installment of the Fruit of the Spirit. The next one is joy. (laughs) See you then. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us next time for another deep dive into the foundation stones of our faith in Jesus Christ. For more information about Refuge City Church or to join our giving team to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ moving forward and making resources like this podcast available into the future, visit refugecity.church.